Amen. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed as white as snow. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go into his word, okay? Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us today to worship you. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. We thank you for, that we can worship you, and we thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit who is our teacher and guide. I pray, Father, that this morning, that as we look into your word, that the truth of your word um, would jump off the page at us, and Father, that we would internalize it, that your Holy Spirit would use your words to convict us. Father, that that you would help us to, to walk closer to you, to be surrendered to you in all that we do. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for guiding us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we've been, uh, we started a series last week on, in the book of Joshua and talking about leadership and learning some lessons from, from Joshua. And um, this morning I want to encourage you, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2 and then some following chapters, but I want to encourage you to open the, the word up and follow along with me. I'll, I'll hit some different highlights here. But I want to give to you four essentials, four essentials to remember about your relationship with God. And, um, you know, no book, no book has more encouragement and wisdom for the soldier of the cross for the one who is fighting the good fight, than the book of Joshua. Joshua completes the work that Moses began. And his book is full of spiritual truth. And we need to understand that God never leaves his work unfinished. God finishes what he starts. What he does, he finishes. And, and remember that the great craftsman always has another tool that's sharpened and ready to put into use. He does that. He equips us along the way. So understand that service to God, service to God and service to our fellow man is what is out there for every one of us as a believer. To serve God and to serve others. So you can always honor God best. By taking up your task with a strong and resolute heart that trusts God. That God knows where you're at. That God knows what you're going through. And understand that each one of us is going through something. We all are going through this together. I may not have the same thing that you do and you may not have the same thing that I do do but we all have issues and we're all doing the best that we can to move forward in the grace that God gives see Joshua led these people the children of Israel into a life of faith trusting God and he also led them into the promised land their possession so God was using him as a leader in an amazing way you know, before we get into the scripture, I want, to, I want to remind you, Mark Twain said something. He said, this memory of ours, this memory of ours stores up a perfect record of the most useless facts 
and anecdotes and, and experiences. And all those things that we ought to know, those things that we need to know, that we would profit by knowing, it casts aside with careless indifference, the, the careless indifference of a girl refusing her true lover. The things that we need to know, the things that we should know, the things that we would profit from knowing, we just push them aside. And so I'm here today to remind you that that we can do that same thing. We can push the things that we know and that we need to know and would profit by knowing aside when it comes to our relationship with God. We get busy doing. We get busy living, taking care of. And we forget some of those essentials that we really need to keep in sharp focus. See, the important things about God and our relationship with Him are too easily forgotten. So from the book of Joshua, I want to give you four essentials that that we often forget. The first one is probably front and center for most of us. And it's grace. God's grace. We look in in Joshua chapter 2. It says, Then Joshua the son of Nun, beginning in verse 1, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. (laughs) In Joshua 2, we meet Rahab. Rahab, a prostitute near the city of Jericho, living in the city of Jericho. And and Joshua's spies come and they take refuge in Rahab's house. They're moving into the land that God has given them. But understand that the land that God has given them is full of conquest and conflict. In other words, they still have to fight. And they still have to take the land. Even though God has given it to them. So he's doing his reconnaissance. He's sending this team out there to to spy it out and see what was going on. And Joshua's spies take refuge in Rahab's house. Now understand, Rahab was no Sunday school teacher. It says she was a harlot. She sold herself to every bidder that paid her price. When the spies arrived in Jericho, they entered into what everyone thought was a harlot's house. And after all, no one would be suspicious of these men going and entering into a house of ill repute. However, when they went into Rahab's house, they found something different. They found a woman who had already been touched by the spirit and the power of Almighty God. Oh, her name was still Rahab, but Rahab was in rehab. Now you see what I did there, right? See, God was in the process of rehabilitating Rahab's life. He was was in the process of turning her life completely around. Rahab found herself a player in a larger drama that made her an illustration of God's amazing grace. 
See, with the spies hidden in her house, Rahab asked Joshua, the spies, if, if, if he would spare her family when he raided the city. And they promised her safety and the provision, with the provision that she tie a scarlet cord in the window so they would be able to recognize where her family was. By the time the spies arrived in Jericho, Rahab had already had a visit from the Lord. Before they had a chance to tell her who they are, she tells them what she knows about them and about Almighty God. Turns out she knew a lot already. Rahab had probably already repented of her sins and looked to God for salvation before the spies arrived at her door. Think about this. We read about her in the roll call of faith. Those heroes of the faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31. It says she was saved by the faith that she exhibited. James 2.25 talks about it. See the mention of flax in this passage. She was drying flax upon their rooftop. And flax was something they used to make linen cloth with. It may have been that her profession had already changed. She may have been looking for other means to make money. But in verse 9, I want to read verse 9 through 11. And this is what she said to the men. I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above. And on earth beneath. She already knows a whole lot. Listen to what she confessed here. She confessed that she knew some things. About God. She confessed that she had heard some things. Folks understand this. Your reputation. Beats you home. So lead with your deeds. Because that's what people see and that's what they hear about. Lead with your deeds. She had heard some things about him too. She had heard him called and she, she actually calls him by his covenant name, Yahweh. She's calling God by his personal name. She confessed her faith in the truth of what she had heard. And Rahab confessed what she had seen and what she had heard about the Lord. Then she confessed the fact that Yahweh is the one true God. That he's the God of heaven and the earth. That he is the one. See, she had already turned from worshiping the pagan idols of Jericho to worshiping the one true God. She knows who he is. 
She confessed her need for a relationship with him. And she confesses the fact that she's lacking what the spies enjoy. A relationship here with the God of heaven and earth. Look at what she says, or what they say. uh, She says in verse 12 and 13. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. I mean, look at what Rahab claimed here. She claimed salvation from the coming judgment. She knew that they knew God of heaven, and she wanted God to be her God and to save her as well. She took what she heard, she took what she knew to be true as an invitation To believe in the God of the Israelites. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She turned from the gods of Jericho to embrace the God of glory. And the Bible tells us she did that by faith. By faith. So when the city of Jericho fell, Joshua spared Rahab and her family in return for her help. And afterwards... Rahab found a new community to call her own, living in Israel as a proselyte, which means a a recent convert, especially to Judaism. Now, Rahab's story helps us to recall the gospel that says, if you ask, if you ask, the Lord will spare and save you and give you a new start and a community to belong to. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Folks, that's her history. That's her story. And that's also our story. You know, in in an interview with, in Leadership Journal, Henry Nouwen, he said this. He said, many people don't think that they are loved or held safe. And so when suffering comes, they see it as an affirmation of their worthlessness. The great question of ministry and the spiritual life is to learn how to live our brokenness under the blessing and not the curse. Folks, we have a Savior who loves us, who gave his life for us. See, in Rahab, I see the power of God to transform the lives of those who come to know him, to turn the life around, to make it something that it was not before. Just as the Lord changed this woman, God is able to rehabilitate, to redeem those who put their faith and trust in him Through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God is able to do that. Regardless of how wicked, regardless of how broken, regardless of how lost or wretched a person may be. No one, absolutely no one is beyond the reach of almighty God. And his grace. See, don't forget the grace 
So many times we get wrapped up and we forget the grace that we've received. Folks, I've received a ton of grace and I need to give a ton of grace. I need that grace. You need that grace. We need that grace. The world needs that grace. We need to be grace givers because we've been given so much grace. I need to move on. We talk a lot about grace. Let's talk about experience. Experience is another essential we need to remember. Our experience can teach us a lot. You know, because of their unbelief, Israel was sentenced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. That's a long time to wander around in the wilderness. Those years have now expired and the children of Israel are poised to enter into the Canaan land. And they're ready to claim their inheritance. That that was promised, the promised land. They're ready to claim it. However, before they can get past... uh, the Jordan River, the, the Canaan, they have this one final obstacle, the Jordan River, to cross. Now, normally this would not have been that big a deal. Since the Jordan River was only, you know, maybe a hundred feet wide at Gilgal. Wouldn't been a big deal to cross it. But our, our God always does things in such a way that no one else can boast about what he does. That's our God. This crossing would be no exception. Look in chapter 3 of verse 14 and 15. It says, So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when, they, and when those who carried the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water... For the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. God brought them to the Jordan at the time of harvest. The Jordan River is overflowing its banks. Some people who who have been there during the harvest time tells us that the Jordan swells to an impassable width. Some places over a mile wide. It would have been 50 times larger at harvest than it would have been any other time of the year. There was no way they could cross the river on their own. They would need some supernatural help. Read on. This is what God God did. It says in verse 16, The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap. A great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Boom. Right? It's at flood stage. It's at harvest. It's a mile wide. And what happens is God shows up because God's people are being obedient. Let me give you the backstory. Prior to this, Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves. Consecrate. Get rid of all the junk in your life. 
Get, get up to date with the Lord. Spend some time getting washed up, getting cleaned up. He tells them in verse 5 of this chapter, he says, he said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves. He didn't say consecrate each other. He didn't say consecrate your neighbor. He said consecrate yourselves. I think that's huge. Then he says, watch for the ark. Watch for the ark. The ark symbolized the divine presence of God. Watch for the divine presence of God. And when you see his presence, step out and follow it. Consecrate yourselves. And when you see the ark, the presence of God, step out and follow it. He also said, listen to the words of the Lord your God. Consecrate, step out and follow, and listen. Doesn't say anything about this. Nothing about this. Listen. And in Hebrew thought, when you, the word Shema means to hear, to listen, and to obey. It's all wrapped up in that one word. So when he says, listen to the Lord your God, come and hear the words of the Lord your God. You're going to hear the words, you're going to listen to them, and you're going to obey them. But notice, each person is accountable for their own relationship to God. We need to hear that. Because you are accountable for your relationship with God. I'm accountable for me. I'm accountable for the church. But you are accountable for you. Each one of us is accountable to God for our own relationship. So Joshua tells them, prepare yourself, get ready. And when you see the presence of God, step out and follow him. See, their faith and their relationship with God had to be up to date. Sometimes we recognize that we have come to Christ... I prayed to receive Christ into my heart, into my life, when I was seven years old. But I want you to know, I have an up-to-date relationship with the Lord. Some of us should be running Windows 10, and we're still running Windows 1. We've never updated the software. We made that decision and we downloaded it way back then, but we've never updated it in our lives. What I'm saying is we've got to have a relationship with God that is up to date. Because God wanted to do something amazing in their lives. God wants to do something amazing in your lives. But you know what? You can't do it if you're not running the latest software. If you're not up to date with him. He's saying, you need to get current, Ridge. You need to get up with what's what's going on. I mean, we need a faith and a relationship with God that is up to date so that God can do amazing things with us. Stop relying on that experience that you had 30 years ago. 
Stop relying on that relationship you had 28 years ago or 50 years ago or how many ever. Get up to date with the Lord. I mean, what is the ark? It's the symbol of the divine presence. And we have something even better. We have Jesus Christ, the reality of the divine presence. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Folks, he is the reality of God. In his grace, we accept forgiveness through repentance. Basically, we, we, get, right, we get ourselves right with him. And we learn a better way to know him through his, our devotion to his will and to his word. See, but without his grace... Without his repentance, without our repentance and forgiveness, we're not going to have a relationship with God. Apart from his grace, apart from our repentance, apart from his forgiveness, we're not going to have a relationship with God. Or your relationship with God may stall. And you may be less likely to realize his plans for your future. Folks, I don't want to miss what God has for me. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God that is wild. We serve a God that can take us and, 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 and put things in our path and in our lives that, that we can't even dream this good. That's the kind of God we serve. Grace, experience with God. These are essential in our relationship with God as well as our witness. Don't discount your witness. We read in Joshua 4, verse 6, they crossed the river on dry ground. And God tells Joshua, he says, well, build an altar here. So Joshua instructs them, let this be a sign among you. When, you, when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? What do they mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. In Joshua's narrative, Israel crossed the Jordan River. And then they built an altar out of 12 stones they took out of the dry riverbed. The dry riverbed. He dried up the river. And now they take these 12 stones. And the altar was meant to be a memorial. A living testimony to every generation that followed. Like the altar built out of the riverbed. Your life reminds others and other generations. What God has done for you, but also with you. The things that God has, has brought you through, the things that he has done with you. Because you see, you are a living testimony for God. You, each one of us, is a living testimony to God and what he has done in our life. The, 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 you know, I, I love that because I want to ask the question, how is your witness today? What are the things that other people are seeing in your life? How will they know who God is if you can't speak it to them? 
We need to be a visible testimony for God. I love this because, you know, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. That living testimony, both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost, the, the, the remotest part of the earth. So how's your witness today? I mean, the internal work of salvation should result in the external work of sanctification. And I say that to say this. <laughs> if you're saved, if you belong to Jesus, then you need to act like you belong to Jesus. You need to respond with those kind of behaviors. What is it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6? It says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Anything that's displeasing to the Lord. Anything that is displeasing to the Lord needs to be removed from your life. It needs to be cut off. It needs to be put away from you. And there may be some of you in this room today who failed to live out your covenant. You're, you're part of the covenant with God when he saved you. And I'm telling you today, you need to step up. As a man or a woman of God, you need to step up and be the witness that you need to be in your home, in your school, in your workplace, wherever you go. I mean, we need to get up to date with him. I mean, do others see you as a living example of what God can do in someone's life? Sometimes it seems to me like once we are saved, once we receive Christ, then we put our testimony away like, okay, I've done that and now I'm good. Folks, maybe God is calling you to share your testimony. To share the amazing grace, the amazing experience that you have had with him and be that living testimony. Lastly, I would say this. The fourth essential is dedication. You know, after the Jordan River, Joshua was told to have the male children of those who had left Egypt with Moses circumcised. Chapter 5, verse 4. says, for this, excuse me, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them all the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, 
perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Back in Genesis 17, there was a commitment, a tradition of commitment and a covenant that was made with Almighty God and the children of Israel that they would be His people. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. It was the mark of the relationship with God that was established with God by grace. They hadn't earned it. It was a matter of grace, but in their way of saying, we are your people. It was a covenant, excuse me, it was a covenant and it was a commitment. And they had to keep it. Even after wandering for 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. See, when they crossed over, soon as they entered the promised land, they renewed the covenant with God. At Gilgal, Israel began to enjoy its deepest relationship with God since before the wilderness experience. All of a sudden, their relationship was now up to date. And God could take them and use them in the land to conquer the enemy, to to go forth and to, to, to take the land that he had given them. The covenant God established through circumcision, prepared Israel for the challenges it would face. God is saying, are you all in? And Israel is responding and saying, yes, we're all in. We are still your people. We've strayed, we've wandered, but we're still your people. Similarly, when you become a Christian, you enter a tradition of commitment and a covenant whose mark is the cross of Jesus Christ. Not outward circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart. Cutting away the hardness of our heart. So that our heart is pliable with God. So that God could use our heart. You see, the, the, the tradition of commitment and covenant is the cross. That's what we enter into. For I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the covenant. That's the commitment. It's not about the outward. It's about the inward. And if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. See, when we accept God's grace, we accept His grace through a new covenant with us. We enter into a relationship with God that allows us to face any challenge that comes before us. But notice, the covenant God made with Israel required their participation. 
they did something. We can't sit. We can't sit and be up to date with God. We've got to participate. We've got to be all in. When God makes a a new personal covenant with us, He promises He will forgive us of our sin, every sin that we have committed. And He asks that we tell someone about the experience. You shall be my witnesses. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will testify, you will prophesy, you will tell others about what I've done in your life. And we will keep that relationship current and up to date. Jesus said in Matthew 28, He said, I am with you always. He goes before us and he says, follow me. He's not asking us to blaze the trail. We're following him. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to whisper in our ear, hey, this is the way. Walk in it. Go this way. Follow this path. See, the the living Ark of the Covenant is still our guide, and He will guide us in the little things, but He will also guide us in the great things. But you you see, God has a way, and He gave directions for His people to follow. You know, Martin Luther, he said, I know not the way He, Christ, leads me. But well do I know my guide. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. See, with God, all things are possible. And God is always doing the impossible. But we recognize that the greatness, the greatness of God's power in your life is the measure of your surrender. If we're stiff-necked, if we're not surrendered to Jesus, if we're not surrendered to what He is calling us to do, if we're not obedient in that, God's greatness may not shine through our lives. But when we are obedient, when we are surrendered, when we have put it all on the, on the altar, when we have put it all out there for Him, then He can use that. See, we've already been given the grace. And we have our experience with Jesus. Now we need the witness and the dedication. See, it's not a question of who you are. Or what you are. But whether or not you're surrendered to God. See my job. Is to point you to Christ. Your job is to surrender and follow him. Let's pray. Loving father I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Father we are so challenged by your word. Father, I thank you for how you love us enough to give us your truth. I thank you that as we look into your word, we can see the things that we need each and every day. The strength just to go on. 
the strength and endurance, Father, just to, just to continue another day, to put one foot in front of the other. And God, that you would just bless us in that. Father, we don't know all the way that you lead us, but we do know the Lord Jesus. And in him, we can follow him. Father, I thank you for allowing us to do that. I thank you for calling us to follow Jesus. And Lord, I pray that this morning, that Father, you would do something once again supernatural in our lives. Father, that you would fill us with your goodness, with your hope, with your grace. That you would draw us to you and that as your people, Father, we would look back on our experience with you and what you have done for us. Father, that we would desire to be your witness. That, Father, we would dedicate ourselves to you. Father, holding nothing back. Father, that each one of us would desire to be current and up to date with you. And God, that you would fill us with joy, with vision. Father, with absolute satisfaction in loving you, our God and our King. Father, I pray this by the power and the mighty name of Jesus. And it's for your glory that we pray. Amen.